Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Tonight we're going to continue in our study of the book of Revelation and if you'll turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and we're going to look at uh, starting at verse 12 of the letter to Pergamos. Read with me, if you will, and, the, and to the angel of uh, the church of Pergamos write these things, saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast uh, there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth." And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit hath said unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone in which uh, in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So this is the letter to the church at Pergamos, and uh, we need to... Uh, talk a little bit about uh, this uh, uh, this letter. Uh, we've been looking at these different letters to different churches, and we've uh, uh, looked at the church at Smyrna and and now uh, the church at Pergamos. Uh, the church at Smyrna was dealing with some uh, persecution, and they were dealing with uh, situations that were developing. Uh, the church at Pergamos was uh, was a church that. Uh, Jesus indicates is already at that place, not where they were about to receive persecution, but they were receiving persecution to the point of martyrdom. And so uh, the church at Pergamos was a church that was under a great deal of uh, persecution and, and difficulty. Uh, uh, Pergamos had a pot, uh, was an actual city uh, in Asia. It had a population between 120,000 and 200,000. Um, Jesus says that uh, there is a Satan's seat or the throne of Satan. There's speculation as to what this could mean. It means that uh, uh, the uh, the church, I mean, the Pergamos was a place in which uh, the ten, uh, there was the first uh, it, uh, location in Asia uh, given the right to build a temple to uh, uh, the the worship of Rome, and so they had a temple to uh, that was worshiping Augustus as a uh, a deity. Uh, and so it was an imperial cult. It also had a great altar to Zeus. 
located there. Uh, and uh, it was uh, the city was located on a high mountain, and so uh, it was a, you were able to see uh, this uh, altar to Zeus from a large uh, uh, area. You could see it. Uh, it was um, uh, seen from a great distance. It, it also could uh, also refer to the fact that there was a. Uh, a a location for tribunals to be held, and it could be that uh, that Christ is referring to this as the seat of Satan, as being a place in which the Roman government would come and and uh, would uh, sentence those who were uh, seen as not being faithful to the uh, the Roman cult. So uh, this was uh, a way in which it's possible that it was seen as a as a uh, slander to those uh, Roman proconsuls that came to Pergamum to uh, judge those who would not uh, uh, confess uh, Caesar as Lord. Uh, it was also uh, the location of uh, the temple to uh, Asclepius, and um, it was. Pergamon was also known as the hearth of Asclepius, and it was linked to, in special ways, to uh, the. And Asclepius was a deity of healing, and um, uh, so uh, Asclepius was known as as uh, the god of healing. And uh, if you've ever noticed uh, on uh, doctors' lab coats or uh, uh, students who are nursing students that have patches. A lot of times, uh, the symbol uh, for Asclepius is, is on uh, is continues today to be a symbol of healing. It is a staff with two serpents that are winding around that staff, and the serpents are facing each other. You'll see that lots of times referring uh, to uh, uh, medical schools and healing. And all. Anyway, that's where that comes from. And uh, uh, the serpent uh, image was uh, associated by the Christians as being a, associated with Satan. So uh, it could be very well that this uh, temple to Asclepius was uh, known as uh, uh, a place of the serpent. And so therefore, when Jesus refers to it as the throne of Satan, he's talking about that. Or um, uh, the fact that uh, Pergamum was a center of Christian persecution um, and uh, the fact that it had imperial cults there uh, also because it was an imper- uh, important center for Greco-Roman religion um, and the fact that it was full of idols. Any of these reasons could have been reasons for why Jesus uh, calls Pergamum as uh, the throne of Satan. Uh, but regardless of the uh, the reason, there was several different reasons. And um, uh, the... Uh, also, the hill in which uh, the city was located was a high hill that looked like an altar. And so uh, any of those reasons could have been reasons why uh, Jesus called it the throne of Satan. But regardless, uh, Jesus says uh, to them, uh, and, and we go back and we look at, at the fact that Jesus is making an address to this church, um, if you'll notice, there are seven churches that are being addressed. There's um, uh, in each of there's 
three categories of churches that are addressed here. Um, you have two churches that are addressed that have nothing but um, accolades given to those churches. That Jesus finds nothing wrong with those churches, and there's those two church. There's two of those churches. There's two churches where nothing good can be uh, found, and and uh, Jesus issues warnings to those churches and issues uh, dire consequences to those churches uh, if they don't change. Then there's three churches in which Jesus addresses those churches and gives them praise uh, for the things that they're doing, but also uh, gives them warning. And and Pergamum is one of those three churches that is mentioned that has uh, praise. Uh, Smyrna was one of those churches as well. Uh, he gives them praise. He says, look, you've been uh, enduring hardships. You've been uh, going through difficulties. And not only that, you've held my name and did not renounce uh, that name. That's found in verse 13. Uh, um Antipas was one who was even mentioned as a martyr who uh, it's uh, speculated that he was executed because he would not sacrifice to the statue of the emperor. Uh, But uh, here's what was going on in those areas of the... uh, uh, Roman Empire that were uh, showing allegiance to Rome, they had to uh, to go and uh, profess that uh, Caesar was Lord. Uh, uh, they had to uh, uh, to pronounce that Cairo, uh, They had to uh, pronounce that uh, Kaiser um, uh, Christos, and and that meant that uh, Caesar was Lord. Um, uh, the Christians would not do that. They they said Jesus was Lord. Now, uh, Jesus says in the address to the the church at at Pergamum that uh, they were a, a city that was filled with temples and filled with altars to false gods and many other gods. And so, the Roman Empire did not mind that <coughs> that. Their subjects worshipped gods. They just had to equate Caesar along with those uh, gods. They had to um, they had to pronounce that Caesar was Lord along with the uh, the fact that they worshipped other gods. And uh, but what was going on here? And Jesus gives commends them for this. He says, "You've not uh, uh, relented. You've not said." Uh, You've not uh, allowed yourself to uh, uh, to give up my name. He says uh, to the church at Pergamum, he says, uh, I know your works and where you dwell and even where Satan's seat is. And thou hast hold fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days when uh, Antipas was martyred. So he says... Look, I want to commend you in the fact that you have not denied my name. And uh, you have not uh, uh, rejected Jesus Christ as Lord. And so this church was doing great in that they were doing this. But even though they were doing good, uh, Jesus has issue with the church. And this uh, is what we need to look at tonight in our study of this passage of Scripture. Jesus has uh, some things against them, uh, and it's where we find ourselves as well. You know, in all of these uh, churches that Jesus addresses, we find uh, the, and I've told you this already, 
that in each of these churches, we find churches that exist today. Uh, these seven churches were uh, examples of churches that were existing in the time of John when he wrote this, but also in our time today. We have churches in which uh, we uh, see that they call themselves churches, but they also uh, worship other things. And that's the issue that Jesus has with uh, this church at Pergamos is that uh, while they uh, are very steadfast in their allegiance to Jesus Christ, uh, they have a problem with the fact that they have uh, members of their church that, are, that have been allowing themselves to do some things. Uh, look at what they were allowing themselves to fall into. He says... Um, uh, in uh, verse 14, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast uh, there, uh, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, uh, who is Balaam? You have to go back to Numbers in your Bibles. Let's go back to the uh, the book of Numbers. Numbers verse uh, chapters. 22 through 25 are where we find Balaam. Uh, but let's look at, at chapter 25, uh, the very end of that. Now you have to remember uh, the children of Israel are, are marching through uh, foreign lands and they're making their way to the promised land. And uh, as the children of Israel are coming through the promised, uh, coming through these different lands, um, uh, they uh, encountered some uh, other peoples and other groups that did things. And as they were going through that uh, uh, area, they you remember that they uh, were unaware of this, but one of the kings inquired of the prophet Balaam to come and to uh, curse the Israelites. Now he, and remember he, uh, this is Balaam that sat on the donkey, and the donkey uh, uh, tried to warn Balaam three times of the uh, danger that God didn't want him to go and do this. But you remember, uh, and God told him not to go, and then uh, the king sent more emissaries, and and he agreed to go with them, and so he got him on, uh, got on his donkey, and he was following along, and the angel of the Lord stood in front of of uh, Balaam with a flaming sword and the donkey saw it and one time the donkey veered over to the side and crushed Balaam's foot then another time uh, the donkey just sat down and uh, uh, and each time Balaam is sitting there wailing on the donkey uh, just whipping that donkey and cursing it because of all this stuff and then finally God opened the mouth of the donkey remember that? And he said, look, uh, these three times I've uh, saved you because uh, there's an angel of the Lord standing in front of us and, and if I had kept on going, you would have surely died. And so this is that Balaam. Balaam was taken up on a high hill by the king and he, the king said, hey, you need to curse uh, these Israelites. And, and so Balaam said, well, I'll go and pray about it and, and see what God wants me to do. And uh, instead, he offered up a sacrifice and, and gave a blessing to Israel. 
And uh, the king says, no, that's not what I wanted you to do. And so he, the king takes him to another spot and says, now I want you to... Uh, I guess it's because the Israelites kept on moving and he had to keep keep up with the Israelites or whatever. But he, kept, he moved uh, Balaam again and he said, now I want you to curse the Israelites. And, and uh, Balaam prayed and he said, now I'm only going to do what God tells me to do. And, and uh, God told him to bless the Israelites. And so he did. And uh, three times... Uh, the king offered him great fortunes if he would just simply curse the Israelites, but he wouldn't do that because that's not what God wanted him to do. Now, Balaam seemed to be uh, a prophet that was doing what God wanted him to do, and in that instance, he did. But the problem is, is that Balaam was a false prophet. He did not always do what God wanted him to do, and he was not always in tune with God. When uh, Balaam was uh, dealing with the Israelites, he was in tune with God, but not always was he in tune with God. And uh, God uh, brought down uh, a judgment against the Moabites, the Edomites, because of all of that, and that's what's in Numbers uh, 25. Um, so, uh, so you can read through that, Numbers 22 through 25. And uh, But uh, it is believed that uh, that those who followed after Balaam, uh, that they fell into idolatry and immorality. And so God blamed Balaam here in Revelation for leading the children of Israel into idolatry and immorality. And um, so Jesus says, uh, you have those who have uh, followed in the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. So they were uh, uh, led into idolatry and immorality uh, by those who followed after Balaam. Secondly, uh, Jesus says, you also have those who are eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, uh, this has come up in the ministry of Paul and uh, his dealings with those who ate uh, sacrifices that were offered to idols. Um, Now, uh, many times... uh, in this instance, when we come across this, eating food that's offered to idols has a bad connotation because of the fact that this meat was offered up to an idol and uh, very infre- uh, the diet of those who lived in these areas very infrequently involved meat. And so the meat that was offered up to, this, uh, to uh, idols for sacrifices, many times uh, what, this, what this is referring to is dealing with uh, the, the concept of, of going into idolatry, that uh, eating that meat was part of... Uh, now what Paul was dealing with was people who... Uh, bought this meat that was offered to, sac- uh, offered to idols and then taken from those idols and put in the market and offered for sale. And that's what Paul was referring to. But in this instance, and what this is re- in reference to is those people who are not just simply buying meat that was uh, for sale in the market that had been offered to, uh, to idols and they were getting a discount uh, because uh, of the fact that it was repurposed uh, meat and it wasn't fresh meat. Um, here it's in reference to 
not just simply eating meat that's offered to, to idols, but is uh, in reference to being invited to these uh, ceremonies in which the meat is being offered to the, the idol, and it's part of the service that is uh, showing homage to the uh, to that deity and is in reference to worship uh, the worship of idols. This is totally different from what Paul was referencing uh, in terms of just simply meat that was uh, resold after being offered to idols. And even then, Paul says, look, if it is, if it is going to cause an offense to any of my brothers who are uh, uh, young in the faith, he says, I'll just abstain from eating meat altogether because it's a stumbling block to them. And uh, he says, I I know I have liberty in eating that because it wasn't involved in the worship of that idol, but simply just eating uh, meat. It'd be like going home and eating a hamburger that was, uh, you don't know... In Paul's time, if that hamburger meat was uh, part of a, a sacrifice or worship of an idol, and then you just go to the market and buy uh, hamburger meat and you bring it home and you eat it. Uh, but what's referenced here is meat that is being offered to an idol and it's part of the worship of that idol, a worship of that false god. And so uh, Christ is is condemning them because they're eating, uh, this eating of food sacrificed to idol was, was a part of the worship of that idol and they were going to those... Uh, look, we do a lot of things to try and get ahead in business. In our society, used to be a time where salesmen would join clubs like Rotary and Kiwanis to make connections, to make uh, 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 these service organizations other than the good that they do. Um, they would also be places where they would make connections that would then equal business opportunities for those salesmen outside of those meetings. And um, uh, so part of that uh whole mentality of being a part of those groups is, okay, well, you go and you participate in all the things that we do. And even today, if you're part of the Kiwanis or Rotary, whatever your reason for doing it, you're encouraged to be a part of those meetings. You're encouraged to go and be a part of those social organizations, those social times where they get together. And not just times where they have their meeting, but also times where they're coming over here and they might be involved in other activities like uh, uh, not just service uh, activities, but activities where they're coming together uh, to watch football games or where they're coming together to uh, socialize at this event or that event. Well, if you're part of one of those service organizations, you're a Christian and you're encouraged to be a part of that, one of the things you're going to encounter is uh, some of those uh, groups. uh, Now, I'm not saying all of them, but some of them uh, have times where they come together and they drink alcohol. They drink uh, wine and beer and hard spirits and all that kind of thing. And if you're trying to be a part of that service organization just to make connections, what's going to happen is you're going to be uh, tempted to be... And look, if you want to be seen as one of the people that's a part of that group, a part of that organization, then guess what? You're going to be encouraged to do all the things they do. What? You're too good to drink with us? You're too, you're too, too good a goody two-shoe to, to, uh, to be here with us? You're not really with us if you're not doing all this. These are all the kind of things you might hear if you're a part of one of those organizations. Same thing that was going on in Pergamos. Um, 
It was that they were uh, forced to be a part of, of these groups and these organizations. And they were going and they were eating. Uh, they were invited to these uh, events where they were worshiping these idols and eating this meat. And that's what Jesus is talking about. They're not just simply eating meat. It's not just a matter of, uh, hey, we're having a chicken uh, fry over here. Why don't you come and join us? Or a fish fry. Or uh, we're eating... We're eating some uh, barbecue over at our house. Why don't you come? This was a religious uh, activity, and the eating of that meat was a part of that religious uh, observance of worshiping these false gods. And Jesus says, you have some of those who are going into this. You're stumbling into this. They're going in and being a part of those things. And they're not seeing it as, as wrong. But Jesus says, this is something that's wrong. It's, it's a stumbling block for others. And uh, so there, you have some that are uh, tolerating the teachings of Balaam. Some they're eating food sacrificed in idols and they're going and, and practicing these, uh, these uh, 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 worship of these idols. And then also they're practicing immorality. Uh, Nicolaitis was uh, one who was uh, uh, encouraging sensual immorality. And so Jesus says, look, you have those who are committing fornication. They're doing things that are not... Look. It's one thing to be held uh, up for the fact that you don't deny Jesus Christ. And look, we've got people in our churches today that will stand up and they'll stay, say strongly on Sunday, I'm a Christian. I stand with Jesus Christ. I, f- I follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then you've got Christians that after they do that on Sunday, on Saturday night, they'll, uh, they'll be out there with the boys and they'll be out there telling dirty jokes and they'll be out there uh, drinking uh, all kinds of uh, alcohol and, and things. They'll be out there doing drugs. They'll be out there uh, uh, participating in all kinds of acts of lewdness and fornication. They'll be out there. And, uh, look, there's people in our uh, churches that are, uh, that are one day they are... Uh, looking at at some of the most vile, filthy things on the internet, and then on Sunday morning they get up and they come to church and they're worshiping Jesus Christ, singing praises to Him and and trying to glorify God with a dirty heart, with a heart full of sin. Now I'm not saying that nobody uh, sins and only a few people are doing that. I'm saying we all sin. But Jesus here is saying, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out, church at, at Pergamos, because you have people who are practicing immorality and they're trying to, uh, to do these things along with uh, saying that Jesus Christ is uh, Lord of their life. You see, we've got people who are, are not professing Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Not really. You know, it's one thing to slap a, a bumper sticker on your car and say, uh, God is my co-pilot. It's another thing to make Jesus Lord of your life. When Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, He is Lord only of your life. But these people that Jesus is referring to are people who are, are saying, you know, I'm Lord of my life as well as I profess Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Either Jesus is Lord alone or not Lord at all in your life, is what Jesus is saying. 
You've got to decide. Are you going to do all those things that, that fulfill your desires of sensuality, fulfill your desires of, of immorality, fulfill your desires of all these things of the world, or are you going to follow Jesus Christ? Jesus said these people were corrupting the church. That's the message for the church at Pergamos. These people in your church are corrupting your church. And yes, you do have those who are standing faithful and saying Jesus is Lord and Jesus alone. But you have others that are saying Jesus is Lord and also uh, devoting their lives to other things as Lord of their life. And Jesus issues a warning. Listen to the warning. Repent, verse 16. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus urged uh, them to repent. Otherwise He would come and threatens to judge them. The words of His mouth. The Word of God. Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us that the Word of God is... is is uh, a two-edged sword, and it's referenced here. Cutting to the very marrow, all the way to the very quick. Jesus says, if you don't uh, repent, I will come and I will judge you. And He says in verse 17, but for those of you who do hear, those of you who do listen to my warning, He says, uh, in verse 17, He that has an ear, let him hear. Hear what the, uh, the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcomes. Now, uh, Jesus speaks about those who are conquerors several times, and this is one of those times. He says, those of you who conquer, those of you who overcome the things of this world, those of you who overcome the sin that you've uh, been become involved in, He says, those of you who repent and turn away and, and turn back and, and run back into the arms of Jesus Christ, He says, will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name is written, which no man knoweth saving he that receives it. Jesus says for those who are conquerors, those who run back to Jesus, those who turn back from their... Look, we've got a lot of people that, that uh, condemn their sin, but they don't repent. We got a lot of people that say, yes, I sin, and they confess their sin to Jesus Christ. They plead for forgiveness, but they don't repent. We've got a lot of people that need to repent. We got a lot of people within uh, our churches as a whole who need to turn back away from the things they have been doing, turn back from the things that they think are right and turn back to Jesus Christ. He says, those who conquer are those who turn back and repent. And to them I will give the hidden manna. This is the miraculous bread that was uh, supplied to the Israelites by God in Exodus uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 36. The Jews uh, uh, saw this as uh, uh, something that God would give to, those, uh, to the Israelites in the last days. More than anything, we see that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Uh, 
God's Word tells us that, uh, that Christ is the bread of life and Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to give myself to you. I am, uh, Jesus is the secret manna. The, the, uh, uh, the wonderful prize is Jesus Christ. And it is He who sustains us. It is He who, who uh, uh, supplies us with eternal life. And this uh, secret manna that Jesus is referring to, to is a metaphor for eternal life. And so Jesus says, I'll give you eternal life. I will give you Myself. I will give you the bread of life. And He says, I'll also give you a white stone. This is completely lost on us today. Because we don't understand the customs and the uh, the attitudes, um, some people who've been a part of a secret organization will remember that in some organizations they give two stones whenever a new member is is being inducted in, and they give them a black stone and a white stone, and and uh, each member is is encouraged to cast their stone and uh, and turn and it's a ballot. It's a way of deciding who gets in, in, into an organization and lots of times the inductee will have a bag and the and the members will come by and they'll reach in and place their stone and the and it, at the end they look at all the stones and they pull them out and if the member uh the person the inductee has uh, even one black stone then they're not allowed to be a part of the organization it's that white stone that is used to induct uh people into those organizations organizations. Uh, many times the white stone was also used in terms of casting the ballot, in terms of uh, whether or not somebody was guilty or innocent in a trial. And the, the judges that were uh, hearing the case would hear the case and then cast the stone, uh, either a white stone or a black stone, into a, a, a bag. And, and if they uh, had a black stone, then they were uh, uh, condemned for that that crime, but if they received the white stone, it was a uh, a white stone of um, innocence, a stone of that that conveyed um, forgiveness uh, or conveyed. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here for a second. Uh, um, acquittal. It was acquittal stone. You also, you had times in which. A great feast or a great uh, event was being held by uh, the king of the land, and stones were given out to those who were uh, were invited to be a part of that. And this white stone would have uh, the seal of the king, or would have uh, the uh, uh, royal crest, or would have uh, a the initials of the king on that white stone. And when the uh, person that was coming to attend the banquet or coming to attend the the great festival. Uh, they would present that stone to the guard and if that stone had the royal seal they were allowed to enter in other times kings uh, during great celebrations and festivals would uh, throw out stone white stones and on that stone there would be uh, a symbol for uh, money or a symbol for uh, 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 clothing or a symbol for toys or a symbol for uh, a number of different things. And those who fa- uh, were in the crowd that would get those stones that were thrown out by royalty would then be able to claim those items uh, from the, the king's court and would be enriched by those things, by that money, by those uh, possessions, the clothing or, or other uh, treasured things. And so 
this white stone that, that is being referenced here is a white stone, a reference to an amulet that was inscribed uh, with a, a secret or divine name. Uh, and at the end of Revelation, we see uh, this coming back into play. If you'll turn to the end of Revelation, chapter 22 of Revelation, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there was a tree of life which bare twelve manners of fruits and yielding her fruit in every mouth, uh, month. Uh, and the leaves of the tree were of the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, and but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they, no need for candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord, of, uh, Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And He said unto them, These sayings are faithful and true, and... The Lord God, the holy prophet, sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. And behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard them uh, and seen, I fell down and worshipped before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou uh, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of the brethren of the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy and of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And he says, And behold, I come quickly, this is Jesus, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. And I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches, and I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. And the Spirit and of the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is uh, uh, a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. And if any man shall add unto these things, shall God add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And he which testifieth uh, these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. 
And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So what is being symbolized here is the end of all those things after all that's happened, after all the battles and after all the the fights and all the uh, the hardships and after all those that are judged, Jesus, uh, God invites those who've been written in the book, those uh, as the king who's inviting them to the wedding feast. And Jesus says, everyone who would come, He says, but you must stay holy, remain holy. And Jesus is referring to this white stone as a stone of admittance, a stone that has the name of Jesus Christ upon it, a name above every name, the name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. For those who have refused to receive the name of the Antichrist on their forehead and on their, and on their uh, hand, but rather has accepted the seal of, of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is referring to. And so what we need to understand and remember is that those who seek to uh, receive the reward of eternal life and, and the invitation into heaven, we must remain holy. We must not allow ourselves to be corrupted by the things of this world. Not allow ourselves to be corrupted by uh, other things. It's not Jesus and. You can't be a Christian and participate in all these other things. But rather, we must show allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. We must be a church who follow after Jesus Christ as Lord. And Christ is Lord and Lord uh, of our life alone. Not Jesus and something else, but Jesus Christ alone. Who is on the throne of your life? Jesus says to the church at, at Pergamos, you have to decide <coughs> who is the Lord of your life. We have to decide in our life. Are we going to be a church in just name only? Are we going to be a church that follows Jesus Christ as Lord of our life? Are we going to allow ourselves to be corrupted by the things of this world and just put on a show every Sunday when we come in and stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and go home and feel better about ourselves? Or are we going to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life? Worship Him and Him alone. Not worship anything else. Not worship the other things of this world that seeks to pull our allegiance away from Jesus Christ. You know, there's, uh, it's not as, as blatant maybe as, as in the time of John where we have people that have uh, altars all over the, uh, the city and worshiping uh, all these other gods. We don't have uh, uh, temple prostitutes that are calling us in to, to worship other things, but we do have uh, people who, when it comes time to come to follow Jesus Christ, they have to check their schedule and see if there's a game that's on that they want to watch. Or they have to check their schedule to see if they have to take their kids to a Little League game. Or they have to check their schedule to see if there's not something else more important that's happening, a trip they're going to go on or something else they're going to do. Are we going to call Jesus Christ Lord of our life? Is He Lord alone of our life? Or are we worshiping Jesus and other gods along with Him? Do we have other allegiances in our life? Who do you choose today, Jesus or the world? Let's pray.